0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast by Bald Move. We're the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's series Game of Thrones. I'm your host Aaron and joining me tonight again is Anthony and Anthony is my co-author of a book we've written. Gods of Thrones. We are the officially official podcast. For Gods of Thrones by one A. Ron Hubbard (laughs) and Anthony Ladon. Anthony, thanks for coming on the show again. And we just want to thank everybody who bought our book over the last week. You helped make us the number one uh, release in several categories, uh, especially in religious criticism and uh, literary criticism. Uh, we were kind of uh, top of the roost in science fiction and fantasy and history and criticism and, and, and religious criticism. So really, really appreciate that. Got a lot of good reviews. and uh, if you if you purchased a copy or if you got your copy through the Kickstarter campaign, uh, once again, uh, thank you, thank you very much. So we're pretty excited about this all through November. We're going to be celebrating the release of Gods of Thrones, our book, as well as George Martin's forthcoming Fire and Blood book that's coming out in November, November twentieth. So we're just we're just kind of flooding, flooding the market with new, fresh Game of Thrones content. Uh, I thought, Anthony, before we start into the the podcast proper, we'd do a little bit of housekeeping. Sounds good. Because I know there's like the Kickstarter folks. We've been talking about the fulfillment windows sometime in November. And just want to let people know that the first round of uh, fulfillment, if, if you ordered like just a book only, a physical copy with, with no other bells and whistles, uh, those things are going to be going out this weekend. And then the week after, we will start fulfilling things like books with the autographs and then books with the t-shirts and books with the hoodies and and uh, things like that. So just want to keep everybody, give everybody a little update on that. I had a couple of frequently asked questions, and I picked these from the mailbag, Anthony. Uh, One from Stephen S. He says, hey, guys, is your book available in a paperback version? I would love to check it out, but I don't really enjoy reading on electronic devices just as Kindles, but your book does sound great. We are definitely doing, uh, you know, the Kickstarter people are getting their paperback books uh, shipping real soon now. We are definitely have a, a print version that's going to be available on Amazon through their like print on demand service. I am holding in my hands right now a proof copy of that. We we have found a couple of some some minor issues in the formatting, so we went to correct that, and we're going to order another proof. But as soon as this kind of proofs out, and we get the uh, Kickstarter stuff shipped, we're going to be putting that uh, up for sale on Amazon too. Hopefully soon, very soon, within the next week or two for sure. Price point in that is going to be. 1599 i believe so you can a get the deal of book. a deal it's a it's a steal it looks good like i said it's it's cool it's cool to hold a physical book that i have written part of in my hands and i'm very proud of the way it turns out and i can't wait for you guys uh to see it so so thanks for that question Stephen. and then janine s well, regarding the possibility of an audiobook, she wrote in and said, Hey Ron, I think you should definitely read an audible version of the book for yourself, although I thought Anthony sounded great on your most recent podcast. That way we can make fun of you mispronouncing things in our reviews." <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and we're going to start the audiobook conversion as soon as I physically have time, which is going to be towards the end of December and uh, early January. Uh we did not hit the price point to fund a complete audiobook or a complete um audible version that's gonna have like all the fancy whisper sync and stuff, but I am going to make a a audiobook version that's that's like in downloadable m p three formats that you can play on your phone or your computer or anything available pretty soon. I just have to record it i uh, i I had an idea anthony okay. Uh, do you think it'd be cool if, like, I read the main text and, like, the footnotes, and then I hand it off to you to read, like, the info boxes and the other different breakouts?
1: I think we should read every other word. Just take turns <laughs> on on those words. I think we should
0: harmonize. Like, I'll be... <laughs> oh, uh, yes. Y- you be the alto, and I'll be the baritone, and we just, uh, you know, have our dulcet tones
1: combine. Yeah. Well, the gri- I think... What's interesting about this book is that each chapter has pretty predictable sections. Yeah. Some of those sections I was a primary author for and some of them you were. Right. We could take turns reading sections. Um, now, you are a professional voice man. So <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I think if I was listening to this book, I would much rather listen to you than to me so but and, you, and you're the one that made the promise i i haven't made any promises yet that's true so I, I, so I, you'll I, figure it out i'm sure yeah no no it's it's not that i can't i just thought it'd be an
0: interesting a uh, break from eating the bowl full of vanilla ice cream which is my voice like you throw in a little bit of sherbert uh i don't know why <laughs> i don't know why i see you as sherbert but you throw some of there maybe some strawberry maybe some some Ben and Jerry's a no. uh, cherry Garcia and uh, you kind of cleanse the palate and then you get back into the vanilla so we'll
1: we'll figure something out that that yeah. sounds fun
0: we want to talk about actual content some some interesting things for you guys from the book related to the book and we thought w- one thing would be fun to do is because in every chapter we do one sometimes more character studies, uh, which are deep dives into specific characters and how they relate to the religious, political, myth, histories, uh, theory thing that we're talking about in in the the various chapters of the book. And I got to pick the first character. So today we're going to talk about everything Tyrion Lannister, especially as it pertains to his views on religion and his uh, skepticism, etc., etc.
1: Is Tyrion everyone's favorite character, would you say? A lot
0: of people like Arya. So that's true. But there's, there, it's, it's probably, I mean, a lot of people like John, a lot of people like Danny, but, but like, he's
1: got to be your number two at least. I I think you're on safe ground with Tyrion, which I think is why he pops up so often in our little two volume project. Mm -hmm. I think that we talk about him in the introduction. We talk about him in probably three different chapters and the conclusion, uh, even though he may be the most irreligious of all of the characters. Yeah, uh, it makes him kind of unique within the world because there's not a
0: lot of atheist skeptics type Archetypes, And it's kind of even debatable about how far even along the atheist and agnostic bent he, he goes into. Uh, I just want to tease that topic because there's also something else we wanted to do is read an Amazon, one of our Amazon reviews, because we're trying to encourage people to that have read our book and want to say something about it to do so. And Kat left us a very nice review. She says the book is a smart and laugh out loud guide to both the books and the show. Aaron's humor and insightful commentary translate well to print and are matched by Anthony's own contributions of drollery and scholarly analysis. Their book is both intellectually serious and irreverently fun loving. The authors blend thought provoking and substantial discussions of sociology, religion, and history with pop culture references and wry in jokes in a conversational style that delivers an enlightening and entertaining read. Ardents of George R.R. R. Martin will gain a deeper understanding of the context and layers of the storytelling, and more casual fans will be drawn in to give the books and or show a more considered look. So, again, thank you, Kat, for those very kind words. Uh, if you have read our book, either through the Kickstarter if you bought it on Amazon and would like to give us a review, please, we encourage you to do so, good or bad. We're, we're taking all critiques of the book, and each one you do actually helps us market it because the more people they are kind of talking about it and buzzing about it and giving us ratings, the better we do
1: on the Amazon marketplace. So, so no, yeah, Kat gave us not only a, a good, succinct review, but she used the word drollery. Mm. And I think that's lovely. Top shelf. Top shelf. Top shelf. Thank you, Kat.
0: You actually coined my favorite word in this, this book when we're talking about the... Uh, uh, let me see if I can if I can uh, understate it so we don't get the usual effect. The uh, <clears throat> the, the Bowl. Uh, oh, yes. You, you described it as uh, thunder domestically awesome yes uh, I, I, love, forgot, I, I forgot
1: i forgot i wrote that i love was pretty
0: good thunder domestically awesome is a great coinage and phrasing and it should spread throughout the land
1: okay i thought you were gonna because the one i'm most proud of is ferengi eargasm <laughs> sure but sure i think you
0: didn't coin that though i
1: didn't oh I, no. well i
0: mean yeah like <laughs> ferengi that's like they have a word for it it's umox, You know.
1: Yeah, it's umox, but eargasms, I I just think, is much more descriptive.
0: Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. That's actually the literal translation from the Ferengi. Right. So I don't know if you can (laughs) give me credit for coining that, although you are like 400 years early in its coinage,
1: so. So, yeah, so because Aeron got to choose the first character, Tyrion, he has to answer five questions that I've come up with. So here's my first question. Aeron... When you are reading A Song of Ice and Fire, do you see Peter Dinklage in your mind? And would you consider this a good or bad thing? As is usually typical on things where I see
0: the adaptation before I read the book, I do see Tyrion as, uh, when I read him, I I do see Peter Dinklage's face. Now, uh, there's a couple times where it's like, the books are kind of jarring uh, when you, you they start talking about how ugly he is and how he's kind of hunched over and mismatched eyes. And then, you know, when he gets his nose chopped off, then he's literally like, you know, monstrous. You can see right into his skull hole.
1: George is not kind to Tyrion <laughs> no. in these ways.
0: And you know, obviously, Peter Dinklage is an ex- a very a just classically good-looking man, and he yeah. also has a melodious, distinguished, powerful speaking voice. The neither of those things the the book Tyrion is is blessed with. So, what about you?
1: I would say that I probably do see Peter Dinklage most of the time, and I think that I have to remind myself. That he's got, like, platinum hair and mismatch eyes and half a nose and a huge scar, you know, down his face. Yeah. Because every now and again, those are important details Mm -hmm. for the book. I mean, look, Peter Dinklage is a handsome man, and and I don't mind that so much.
0: I find it amazing that people are able to keep that separation. Because, like, I found even – honestly, a lot of times when I've read a book first and then see the movie – and go back and, like, for example, Lord of the Rings, perfect example. I had, from a, a young age, very clear ideas of what I thought Gandalf and Frodo and Sam right. and uh, Aragorn looked like. And then the movie comes, and I'll be damned if I don't see Elijah Wood's giant eyes when, <laughs> when I think of, of uh, Frodo. And it's right. so like I, and I've heard some people like that doesn't ever happen. Like their their residual image of these characters is so strong that no amount of Hollywood star power can overwrite that.
1: But I I found that historically not to be true. Okay, all right. So next question. All right. So do you think Tyrion is a Mary Sue character from Martin? Before you answer, here is the definition of Mary Sue from Grammarist dot com. So here I quote. A Mary Sue is a fictional character who is so perfect as to be unrealistic. A Mary Sue is a character who has no weakness, who performs heroically and perfectly in every situation. This sort of character is usually considered to be a form of wish fulfillment on the part of the author and is a sign of an amateur writer.
0: I don't think so. I, I think the closest character that you can get to, a, like a Mary Sue in the canon for Martin, is Sam – Uh, Sam Tarly but even then he still has flaws and Sam's flaws in the fact that he's like I guess his flaws he's not traditionally masculine in 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 Westeros in in the universe and he never like turns that into uh turns it around in his own head to be like a plus it's just kind of like well it's just the way I am and you know I get what I get and But so I I don't think any either Sam nor Tyrion is a Mary Sue, especially Tyrion, because my God, he really gets gets shit on, and he doesn't have the best looks. I don't think in uh, like feast and dance.
1: I don't think he's perfect, but I think in the ways that maybe Martin would find ideal, I think he may be rhetorically perfect, if you know what Mm. I mean, like. He he's always he's always got the witty quip. He's always the smartest guy in the room, and he's got other he's got other deficits. Right. But in the ways that you know, sort of the the super nerd imagines himself. <laughs> uh, maybe he's I don't know. Maybe he's a little idealistic.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I but like a true Mary Sue, like a, like a John Galt type, like. <laughs> Just, just a person without flaws. Because, like, even though he's very smart, he does. I I think, like, dance is a good does a good job of exposing him as like privileged. He didn't even realize it because he always thinks he's the most accursed among men. And then he spends significant amount of time with uh, this other dwarf character, Penny, and just realizes how fundamentally she saw the world differently because she's of the small folk. She's not. Not just small folk, but she's, you know, a dwarf on top of that. So she's got, like, all this negative social stigma and all this negative kind of
1: privilege. If we frame that as are there certain elements of Martin in Tyrion, I think we'd probably say yes. Oh, yeah. Um, But is he a Mary Sue character? I would have to say. I mean, according to to this particular definition, which is not Uh probably the only definition Uh you could find, uh, I don't think he is. All right. My next question. Will Tyrion get to ride a dragon? In the books, I'd give it fifty fifty, uh, because I
0: think the, the dragon has three heads is going to be a much bigger deal in the books. In the show, I think nah. <laughs> I think that uh either whether George put that in a bullet point that he sent to the double D's and the Double D's are just like, nah, eject, we're going to do the the simple version or, or what. I just I just can't see I mean, hell, there's not even three dra- good dragons to ride at this point in the, sto- uh, the show's <laughs> story. So let alone having three decent heads, I, I just don't think it's going to be a thing.
1: Because there's a big deal made about the fact that he was able to design this this special saddle so that yeah. he was able to ride a horse, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: I saw, though, like that was like a lot of people were thinking that, yeah, you're right. I mean, that would allow him to ride... You know, even his unconventional form to ride a dragon or some people thought that that would allow Bran to ride a dragon. But I've always right. been persuaded that if Bran's going to be a dragon rider, it would be like war. he, he, he would be uh, he would be riding on top. He'd be he'd be riding inside. He'd be in the right. cockpit, so to speak. So. Uh, right. So, yeah, I guess if uh, and I think Martin knows that, right? You know, uh, he, he's like, you, you won't want to run or you'll 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 be able to fly. Uh I i think that if if that if that saddle engineering was going to foreshadow anything, it would have to be Tyrion. It'd have to be Tyrion. But that's what I'm saying. In the book, I think it's fifty fifty. Uh with like Danny and John being the other most likely uh nominees.
1: All right. Next question. Is
0: Tyrion an Oedipus type? <laughs> So this is interesting. We go into this in Volume Two of Gods of Thrones. It's going to be coming out this spring in, in 2019. But there are a an interesting uh, number of similarities between the two. So let's let's talk about like the mythical Oedipus, and then we can talk about the Oedipus type, right? So Tyrion, uh, his f- physicality, uh, he's described as having an abnormal gait, uh, forcing him that waddles to and fro. Uh, whereas Oedipus literally means swollen foot. Uh, he had his feet bound, which would uh, create uh, a, 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 an abnormal gait similar to Tyrion. Tyrion saved King's Landing, but that doesn't save him from being hated. And that compares to uh, um, uh, Oedipus saving
1: Thebes. Is that you pronounce Thebes? So I would say uh, Thebes but Thebes. I, I I I've studied Greek so I'm going to say it wrong I'm, I'm I'm sure that this is probably me bringing koine greek and I should be saying this in classical greek So it's the- Thebes Thebes Thebes
0: uh, Oedipus saves the city but that doesn't save him from being hated by the people Tyrion of course famously disowned by his father Tywin Who contemplates infanticide and Oedipus is disowned uh, by his father, who also attempts infanticide. Then, of course, uh, the big similarity: Tyrion kills his father Tywin, and Oedipus kills his father as well. So, there's a lot of interesting parallels there. There now, if you want to go in a really fun direction, and again, we get way more into this in Volume Two, that's that's coming out this spring. Freud kind of made the Oedipus Complex uh, famous, and that's defined as a male child's unconscious desire for the exclusive love of his mother. This desire includes a jealousy towards the father and an unconscious wish for that parent's death, as well as the unconscious desire for sexual intercourse with the mother. Now, there's no evidence in the book that Tyrion thinks that his mother, Joanna Lannister, is hot and that he wanted to have sex with her because she died uh, in childbirth. But there's actually a a, a crazy but pretty cool theory that involves Tyrion being an, a, a secret Targaryen, and there's a ton of different theories about Tyrion being a secret Targaryen. But this one is by way of womb-based blood magic-fueled time travel. <laughs> that like just just it, short short form of the theory is that Tyrion is actually the child that was inside Danny. That when yeah, Miri
1: Mazdur... Yeah, goes yeah. into Miriam the tent. Something horrible happens to the child. By the way, this is this is my favorite theory, which is why I asked you this question. I was yeah. hoping you you'd, you'd wind up here.
0: Yeah, so that that actually sends Tyrion from the womb of Danny to the womb of Joanna Lannister, and simultaneously brings the dead fetus that died inside Joanna inside Danny, and there are a lot of interesting connections between the appearance of danny's dead child and Tyrion's stated appearance uh when he was born and it's like i said it's crazy and it's 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 probably not true at all but it's one of those things where it's got surprising amount of textual evidence and people have really run with it so if you want if you want to get more in that uh, check check out the volume two in the spring
1: clearly we're out on a really 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 thin ice here but um Let's let's imagine that Tyrion is the child, the time traveling child of Danny. Well, at the end of this last season, you got this little hint that Tyrion is in love with Danny, mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit jealous of John during the boat sex episode. So there you go. There, there there's your connection. There's your Oedipal complex. Yeah, if you want to interpret that knowing look. So, <laughs> <laughs> I do think that Dinklage has said. His interpretation of that scene is that he's fallen in love with Danny, and he's disappointed that she's getting it on with. Oh uh, well, what the hell John does he Snow. know?
0: What the hell does he know? He de- yeah, he doesn't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, you know, if you listen to my pod- the, the podcast, like I, I go pretty, I go pretty far against. I think that's just. Uh, he is the Secretary of State, and he's seeing his president, and I don't know. I've lost the plot on this. Fuck a king.
1: Uh, so t- t- so in this, in this analogy, Jon Snow is Marilyn Monroe. That's what you're saying? Yeah, something like that.
0: Or It's, it's yeah. more of like you don't want your head of state being emotionally compromised by a relationship with a key ally. And that's concern about the political ramifications of this, or maybe he's a traitor, or maybe he's jealous of Danny. Who knows? Who knows? Danny does seem to inspire no shortage of, of jealousy in the men that uh, find themselves surrounding her.
1: All right, question number five, and uh, this will do it for the questions uh, to you. Will Tyrion be alive and well at the end of a dream of Str- of spring? Yes. Yes.
0: And I have nothing to base that on other than I think that one or both of John and Danny are gonna die. And I just don't buy that he's gonna make a clean sweep of all those fan favorites. Now, George is probably steepling his fingers and saying mu-ha-ha-ha, mu-ha-ha-ha, you know, in, in response to that. But I, I just that's that's my gut feeling. I feel like Tyrion he is one of the survive- he like him and Sansa, I think, are the closest to locks of surviving this, this, uh, this
1: shithole situation. What do you think? I remember, I think Jim is on the record having claimed, promised that if, if Tyrion dies, he's done. <laughs> well, I hope he's- that happens on the very last episode at least. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, Look, it's very possible that Tyrion could could bite it. He could die a grisly, meaningless death. It could happen. You know, who knows? Who knows what Martin will do? Is he integral mm-hmm. to the end game? Is the question? Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's probably integral to Danny's Westerosi conquest, mm-hmm. but the end game isn't the Westerosi conquest. The, the end game is. What to do about the others. I'm not sure. I think Sam is maybe more integral to that, that war. Yeah. So I don't know. He could die. He could easily Well, die. you
0: know, I've, I've also been a big proponent of the some version of democracy bre- breaking out in Westeros uh, as a bittersweet ending to the, the, the Song of Ice and Fire. And I, I go I, – I, I do a deep dive of that in this this book. This, uh, you know, this is dream of democracy kind of uh, fan theory. Yeah. Volume and, one,
1: last chapter, you get to full the full throated argument for Westerosi proto democracy, and I think that
0: Tyrion has been trained throughout this entire series to be this prime minister type figure. And it seems like he's kind of born to be the post royalty, like the post royal supremacy, that that prime minister type figure. Uh, everything has been training him for this moment and teaching him how to wield power and humility and uh, and, and service and all those things. So I, I think that also it, that that fits in with my
1: theory. So I'm he back make it. he would make a perfect hand of the king. Yeah, which yeah, yeah, yeah. which we've already seen, right? We've already and the seen king. If the if the king the was display. just
0: like a like a figurehead, like a
1: bot, like a you know a Bobby Baratheon type of character, right? You
0: know, yeah. He he just he's going to lead the melees and the tournaments and outdrink everybody in the realm and leave the stewardship of the realm to to smarter, better men. We now move on to the next phase of our deep dive, where we're going to read a portion of the canon and. Uh, then explain why we selected it and have a little discussion on that. Anthony, would you like to? Yes, I would. T- tell us about but, your passage.
1: Yeah, so this is a this is just a, a couple uh, paragraphs here from Game, and I think it is one of Jon Snow's first POVs. few chapters. Yeah. Yeah, POV chapters. So here it goes. Boy, a voice called out to him. John turned. Tyrion Lannister was sitting on the ledge above the door to the Great Hall, looking for all the world like a gargoyle. The dwarf grinned down at him. Is that animal a wolf? A dire wolf, Jon said. His name was Ghost. He stared up at the little man, his disappointment suddenly forgotten. What are you doing up there? Why aren't you at the feast? Too hot, too noisy, and i drunk too much wine, the dwarf told him. I learned long ago that it is considered rude to vom- vomit on your brother. I might have a closer lo- I might have a- might I have a closer look at your wolf. John hesitated, then nodded slowly. Can you climb down or shall I bring a ladder? Oh bleed that, the little man said. He pushed himself off the ledge into empty air. John gasped and then watched in awe as Tyrion Lannister spun round in a tight ball, landed lightly on his hands. And then vaulted backward onto his legs. Okay, so I've, I picked this for a few reasons. The first reason is that I Tyrion always gets the best dialogue. He always gets mm-hmm. the best dialogue. In fact, I think that he has this sort of... Uh, if you were going to sum up Tyrion's persona early on, it's kind of this wounded character who's pretty self-aware... Who has got it all figured out. And so I love this sort of early exchange with he and uh John Snow. The second Oh, and you also get to learn about Go ahead. He's got this like Oscar Wilde way of
0: self deprecating humor that also makes him seem badass. Yes. He is Oscar Wilde. I'm drunk, uh, but I've considered long ago that's rude to vomit on your brother. And uh, you know, it's he's saying that he has in fact puked on Jamie Lannister, who is one of the biggest <laughs> badasses of all the kingdom, and he can do that because he's Tyrion. And like I that's that's like uh that's a
1: pretty good humble brag, you know? So yeah, so you've got uh Right. Right. So you've got him joking, uh you've got him uh sort of, you know, self effacing, you've got him. Uh, Drunk, So you've got all of, basically you've got all of Tyrion here. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But, and then eventually in this chapter, you're, you know, he's going to teach this lesson about sort of being less than ideal in your father's eyes to Jon Snow. But I picked this also for another reason because Martin has said that he, this is one of the most regrettable things he's written. Hmm. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. Okay, so he he's <laughs> uh George Martin uh has said he's he really sort of wishes that he didn't do this to Tyrion this whole acrobatic thing because he basically, you know, he he basically re- introduces Tyrion as a sort of almost circus character. And uh and you know it it's a little bit much. It's a little bit much and so George has basically said uh yeah, yeah, I wish I could take that back. But this is out of his hands. It, mm-hmm. it this is now part of the, you know, the the canon that's in the world. It's now the property of all of us, and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if George wants to take this back. He's not going to Lucas this thing. <laughs> uh this this is part of Tyrion's early reveals. So I picked my passage uh, from A Dance with
0: Dragons. It's the ninth Tyrion POV chapter. Uh, I'm sorry, it's the it's the fourth. Uh, I chose it because I knew which passage you were going to read, but I didn't know why you read it. So I thought it would dovetail nicely with that. And it's now super interesting because so the context is a knight whose nickname is Duck has been knocked off into the river off of a boat and Tyrion is teasing him about I thought a duck would swim better than that so the knight then pushes him back in the water and after he gets out and he gets back on the, the boat he says you're not the first to try and drown me he told duck as he was pouring river water from his boot my father threw me down a well the day I was born but I was so ugly the water witch who lived down there spat me back he pulled off the other boot then did a cartwheel along the deck spraying all of them young Griff laughed where did you learn that The Mummers taught me, he lied. My mother loved me best of all her children because I was small. She nursed me at her breast till I was seven. That made my brothers jealous, so they stuffed me in a sack and sold me to a Mummers troupe. When I tried to run off, the master Mummer cut off half my nose, so I had no choice but to go with them and learn to be amusing. The truth was rather different. His uncle had taught him a bit of tumbling when he was six or seven. Tyrion had taken to it eagerly. For half a year, he had cartwheeled his merry way around Casterly Rock, bringing smiles to the faces of septons, squires, and servants alike. Even Cersei laughed to see him once or twice. All that ended abruptly the day his father returned from his sojourn in King's Landing. That night at supper, Tyrion surprised his sire by walking the length of the high table on his hands. Lord Tywin was not pleased. "'The gods made you a dwarf. Must you be a fool as well? You were born a lion, not a monkey. "'And you're a corpse, father, so I'll caper as I please. "'You have a gift for making men smile,' Septa Lamora told Tyrion as he was drying off his toes. "'You should thank the father above. He gives gifts to all his children.' "'He does,' he agreed pleasantly. "'And when I die, please let me bury, please let them bury me with a crossbow so I can thank the father above for his gifts the same way I thank the father below.' So two reasons I picked this. One is I thought it it dovetailed nicely with your discussion uh, of a choice of uh, Tyrion showing acrobatics. And I think it's even more interesting because if George thinks that's his greatest mistake, it's kind of funny that he doubles down on it in his most recent book. Like he could have just that could have been a one off affectation, but he's now hanging further character moments on it. Uh, yeah. do you think there's a little schizophrenia there with George and how he feels no. about
1: it or No, I think once the book is published um, In for a penny, in for a pound? Yeah, once the book is published, it doesn't really belong to you anymore. And so you kind of you're constricted to what you've got in writing out there, and so you might as well build on it. Yeah. Um I don't know. I mean maybe. Maybe maybe so. Uh you know, or uh, maybe someone was sort of uh, grilling him during the interview, and he just started talking, and something came out of his mouth. <laughs> I have to say something. Uh, uh, what will people not kill me for? I know tumbling. Uh,
0: <laughs> they're not going. They surely won't go after me about tumbling on Tumblr. Uh, do, do you think uh, the other thing that, that that I wanted to kind of use as a springboard on is that? You know, in our our chapter about the skeptics and the the, the faithless, uh, which is kind of a, a talks about Tyrion, it talks about the hound. We talk you talk about Tyrion and you know, he's the closest we have to like maybe an atheist, an agnostic, certainly a skeptic in the book. But even yeah. he makes show of, you know, telling Joffrey, for example, that he should pray for Brand's soul or whatever. Uh, you know uh, express his, his his prayers to the starks that he even like like he might be skeptical of the gods, but he is a man who lives in society that's just perfused with religion there isn't like a skeptic class there aren't people that well, really identify yeah. as atheist
1: right so i I mean you do have examples of atheists in the ancient world, but it doesn't mean what we think it means today There, like uh Diogenes was thought of as uh atheist and he was exiled but for in that culture it meant godless and it was because he was making fun of the gods not because he was expressing sort of a modern you know disbelief and sort of a closed universe and an embrace of scientific study or anything like that Uh, he was he was called godless because he was making fun of the gods and it was Hmm. probably related to something along the lines of yeah well if they're going to strike me down then they would have done it already um, so maybe he's maybe he's saying something like that. Well, you get to hear Tyrion say that a lot, and and he's always making jokes and 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 whatnot. But I think that Tyrion does have some kind of um, sort of default position, religious default position, sort of deep down. Um, I was listening to an interview with John Mullaney on NPR. And they were asking him. So you grew up Catholic. So are, would you still consider yourself Catholic? And what he said was, um, some of it snuck in before the garage door shut. Huh. So, and I think that there may be something like like that going on with the Lannister kids because at one point uh, Jamie says that he, he he's always sort of respected the warrior the most, and uh, Cersei. Does not want to have sex in in the Great Sept because it would be dishonorable to the gods. And Tyrion, when he after he kills his father, he's on this boat and he's getting drunk as the beginning of dance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he associates the storm that's coming with sort of the wrath of his own father, who's probably in some kind of communion with the father above. And then later right. on, he, when he wants to commit suicide, he's looking at these seven poisonous mushrooms and he's thinking that the seven are ask are sort of trying to hint to him that he should take his own life. And so I think r- when he stripped down, like really raw and Tyrion is sort of at his most, uh, you know, raw and without pretense, there's sort of this unpredictable faith of the seven that snuck in there before the garage door shut.
0: We never actually talked about this, but as we talked about last episode, like I grew up in a very fundamentalist religion and now I identify as an atheist. But I'd li- I'd be lying if I wouldn't say that one of my first thoughts when there's a particularly apocalyptic event that happens on the planet Earth and those seem to be happening more frequently of late than I'd like. Uh, <laughs> one of the first thoughts in the back of my mind is you might be wrong about the whole Armageddon thing. In times of like really stress or scary things like i religiously i'm tempted to run home to mama kind of <laughs> and i wonder if like it's like i i kind of relate to Tyrion that like on his best day he's like yeah whatever you know god's of tips and wine yeah. but you know when he's done something really bad and the storm clouds are on the horizon ooh, those seven hells i wonder wonder if there's really seven of them <laughs>
1: okay so i have two questions uh-huh first off I like the hunt for Red October reference there, and I want to know if it was conscious. <laughs> oh, I'm an old school Tom Clancy fan, man. Okay. of course. All right. Okay, of course. so I'm glad. Ivan did it with the inflection. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. That's that's why it was recognizable. Yeah, yeah. What was the onboard navigation system? The, yeah, the sonar of the Dallas.
0: Because
1: it used to the sonar system
0: used to be like uh, a NOAA. Uh, oceanic survey kind of software. And he's he, right. like when it doesn't know what to do, it likes to run home to mama. <laughs> so, All right.
1: so yeah. So that was my first question. but <laughs> And, and, and you, you definitely gave the right answer. All right. So the second question is this, would you say that the God that you disbelieve in is the Christian God?
0: Nah, no. Nah, I, I mean, I started there for sure. It's kind of been a journey. I didn't go right from, uh, fundamentalist christian to atheist i went there's this couple way stops along the way i went from fundamentalist christian to christian to deist to like like uh maybe in a personal force intelligence of the universe to agnostic to honestly i call myself an apathist today it's like i don't even i don't like i like uh got if there's a god he knows where to find me he's got the power to make that connection happen else I'm going to go on go on with my life because I've spent a lot of my I've spent a lot of my life thinking about him
1: there, there's a lot to unpack there We're, we'll definitely <laughs> we, have to we we need to we w- need work to through like, some of that <laughs> like when all this is over I would love to have a like a honest I'd just love
0: to have a religious just a religious conversation with you
1: yeah well we'll do that like like, we'll, like I don't we'll, know if we we'll
0: release that as bonus content cuz I don't know anyone that would care like everyone would care about it but I bet there's some people that care about
1: it I I'm hoping that we'll be really drunk at the time <laughs> I can definitely make that happen. I can definitely so, make that happen. <laughs> so I, I, get, I put it a different way. So if you, when you are, it's not like there's ever a sort of a moment where you're thinking, "Oh crap, Allah is it might be real." Yeah, um, Yahweh. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it, it, the the belief in Brahman or some other religious system that was never a part of your DNA. No. So, it, so there's there's a sense in which your Christianity still informs your atheism. Oh, for sure. I was about to say uh, that that yeah, I I think I got a pretty
0: secular humanist, humanist outlook now, but absolutely, there's no way I could say with a straight face that Judeo-Christian morality doesn't mm-hmm. inform my moral and ethical framework to some extent.
1: I don't know how we got there, man. But that I don't either. That's probably more of what we should be doing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like when we're done with fire and blood, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a bonus podcast, and you and I are just going to drink scotch or whatever your your fave is, and and talk religion.
1: All right. So this is the next section. All right. So this is sort of the character development section, and this is where we talk about stages, trajectories, or transformations of the character. Uh, let's talk about some key events
0: before we start talking about uh, trajectories and st- stages. The key events that formed Tyrion's life and are fundamental to his character. Uh, and we've got, we, 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 we talked about this before the podcast, and we've identified the death of his first wife, uh, betrayal by his father, uh, and meeting Danny. And I kind of want to talk about a lot of those things, but uh, one thing I might differ from you is the betrayal by his father. Because I feel like the thing that really wounded him is the betrayal by Shay. That's the one that like really gets him. Because like mm. in the in, in dance, he's not dwelling on where fathers go or trying to find his fathers. Sure. Instead, he's the the thing that echoes in his mind is you know where where do whores go? Because right. he's always thinking about that 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 first woman uh, who was was revealed in uh, the end of that season, uh, by Jamie. Well no, not on the this is this is kind of like a book only thing. The show establishes that he had this wife and tells the story about uh that that, that Jamie this is a trick that he played on Tyrion and he paid a a whore to have sex with him and then his father found out about it and he paid all the Lannister men to have sex with this woman and they tipped her a silver stag and then Tyrion went last and he tipped a, a gold coin, a gold dragon, just so everyone knows that the Lannisters are better and you know Tyrion was very bitter because he's like how foolish I was to to think that this woman would ever love me and then you yeah, find out yeah so that
1: in t- the in the books this is Taisha right or or yep. Tisha
0: I'm not sure yep. how to pronounce it. I think that. it's Tysha, just Taisha cuz that's how all
1: the other well I right. guess not T it could be Tisha Taisha we say Tywin so right. when might say Taisha so yeah so he's he was in love this was her his first love and mm-hmm. and they were legitimately married and mm-hmm. I'm not clear. It seems to me that there's two narratives. One is that she was a prostitute that Jamie paid to act like she was.
0: Right, 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 right. That's the that's really the official story. Him. But what's what what Jamie confides in him when he releases him from from the black cells is that actually she was true blue. She actually was exactly who she said she was, uh, that our father just thought that she only loved you because he want she wanted to marry into the Lannister, uh, name. And he wanted to, uh, dissuade that and humiliate her and humiliate you. And he, there was this whole charade, which enraged Tyrion and what leads to his father's death. But I think it's interesting too, because there's a duality there that, uh, when she betrayed him, You've got you got Tyrion's first love, his wife Tysha, who was revealed uh who he thought was a whore, but was revealed to be a genuinely sweet girl who loved him on his merits. And she was kind of forced to play that other role, whereas Shay was revealed to be uh, uh an actual whore or prostitute or sex. Or I'm not trying to be offensive, I'm just using the parlance of the realm, who plays right. a genu- who plays a genuinely sweet girl who loves him on his merits. So I think the twin realizations of uh of 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 Shay being who she is versus who she thought he was versus that uh, Taisha that his actual wife and my god imagine imagine learning that so many years later is the thing that really like that messes him up way more than the fact that he put a crossbolt bolt through his father's guts I think
1: so this is sort of a long convoluted way to say that the betrayal by Shay is every bit as important as sort of pushing Tyrion toward this suicidal state, mm-hmm. uh, where he mm-hmm. where he starts, you know, wandering Essos, thinking wh- where to where do horse go? Right. So right right um, right. Yeah, I think I think you're you're probably right that that probably has some sort of psychological leverage over him. Right. But especially since, like, the other thing is, like, I feel like the uh,
0: we in the Phantom soft-pedal this a lot, but he strangled his lover to death. Like, I, granted, it was a sexual betrayal, a personal betrayal, but still, still, I don't think you can do that, like, as a guy like Tyrion and not have it deeply disturb you psychologically.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think that, and I would defy anyone to read Tyrion's mm. first POV chapter mm-hmm. in Dance and look at the way Tyrion is dealing with basically the sex slave. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And, he, I mean, he's just a total asshole. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and and it, when I was first reading it, I thought, okay, here's Martin. He, here he goes again. He's going to take a, a character who I thought one way about, um, and he's going to send him this character mm-hmm. on this dark trajectory in the same way that sort of Jamie has come up from being a villain to something of an empathetic character. Right, right, right. Maybe Tyrion is on his way to becoming sort of this this darker character. He's the anti-Jamie. But I don't think that Martin can quite do that with Tyrion. I'm not sure. Now, are you I don't know if you've ever talked about this, but are you familiar with the sailor's wife theory?
0: I am not. So, in the the books, there is a uh, a prostitute that works over in the Happy Port Brothel in Bravos. Okay. And this kind of dovetails to Tyrion wondering, you know, where do where 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 do whores go? Where do whores go? And and thinking that like, you know, maybe he will find his his wife somewhere. The Sailor's wife, her real name is unknown, but she's called the Sailor's Wife because she only beds those who marry her. She's very particular that she'll only have sex with a man who she's married to. And humorously, she sometimes marries multiple times per night, you know, because she is, she is a sex worker. She's generous, quick to laugh, but there's a fundamental underlying sadness about this character. And the idea is that her daughter is named Lana, which is a feminine form of the name Lan, which is the, where the Lannister's name is derived from Lan the Clever. And her daughter has golden hair, which is, of course, a Lannister trait. And people speculated that this sailor's wife is actually Tysha, because Lana's the right age to be the daughter from her and Tyrion's marriage. Uh, She's also, she states that she was the same age as Lana now when she gave birth to her, which would put her right in that uh, early teenage that Tyrion claims that she she was. And the fact that she's now working in a whorehouse supports the Tywin Lannister quote that she went wherever whores go. So hmm. again, this is like early stages of this theory because this is this is uh you know material from uh, largely Arya's chapters, but it is interesting. There is a like like the it's it's uh, the 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 dates and times line up. The dates and times line up. And the marriage theme seems The marriage to be theme, the fact that, that would be that would be something that would wound her so much that it becomes like a tick, you know? Right. This like this 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 uh that would you know yeah that that experience of being gang raped by lannisters uh right after you got married to one uh would would be something that would maybe skew your your version your your, your vision of uh what marriage should be but uh yeah no i I think it's a neat theory um it definitely's not gonna happen in the show because <laughs> the show doesn't <laughs> that doesn't didn't, no. didn't even didn't even bother to twist uh but uh the book something something to look out for in the books.
1: Yeah, no, Martin seems to be really really interested in uh Tyrion's sort of dark ruminations about where whores go. Yeah. Uh, so it so it would be interesting if that doesn't get paid off in the books, you know, somehow. He he so, in, in other words, he, Tyrion has has dwelt so long on Taisha that not to sort of ever round that out, even if it's sort of to Reveal that she died a long time ago, or something. I think I think it mm-hmm. would be sort of a, a unresolved issue if Taisha mm-hmm. doesn't come back into the the picture somehow. Mm-hmm. Are there state? Does, does Tyrion have stages? He's got he's got stages like a like an Atlas rocket. Sure. Um, so you mm-hmm. already mentioned like the Oscar Wilde stage, right? Right. And I think that's probably a distinct like when you and Jim were doing season three recap, which you just mm-hmm. recently did. Um, the rewatch, mm-hmm. uh, I, I remember hearing the phrase peak Tyrion a lot, right? So what, mm-hmm. what do you mean by peak Tyrion?
0: Uh, I think peak Tyrion is like him strolling in at the beginning of season two and he, you just, just dropping the, Hey, by the way, I'm, I'm hand of the King, and i have been sent here with specific orders to bring you my idiot nephew and you my idiot sister to heal uh <laughs> and i'm going and i'm going to do that yeah. and i've got this this thing that says it's from taiwan so no one's going to give me shit about it not even your king's guard like that's tyrion when he's got when he's got political capital to flex to match his intellect is, is Peak Tyrion. Yeah. Peak Tyrion is exemplified by the way he sends Jano slint to the wall. The, the treacherous gold cloak that was one of the ones instrumental in, sure. in cutting off Ned Stark's yeah. head. Like... You know, when the guy's like, How dare you smirch my honor? He's like, I don't be smir- I don't question it, I just deny its existence utterly. He's just <laughs> Yeah Not only is he, is he putting a black bag over the guy's head and making him disappear, but he's doing it in style. That's Peak Therian.
1: That's right. So he's he's three steps ahead of everyone almost everyone, but he's three cents mm-hmm. of at least Janice Flint, for sure. Mm-hmm. But he also has great one liners as he's sort of bagging bagging the dude and sending him north. Yes, yeah that that's a good that's a d- good description of peak Tyrion. So, um, <clears throat> what what next? Other stages of Tyrion. So, if we want to go in like order, because uh, you know we've got if, if we, we pre-discussed this,
0: uh, there is the like like you described as the hideous, the hedonist smack talking Tyrion. So this is the Tyrion yeah. <laughs> that 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 slaps ja- Joffrey around because he's not king. And uh, he is pissing off the wall, and he's right. trying to drink the, all
1: the black brothers under the table. Yeah, he's and, gallivanting. He's got no real responsibility at this point, right?
0: Yeah, and he's the type, and, and he's, uh, but he, he but he yeah he has no real power or responsibilities, but he will at his trial for his life make a whole bunch of masturbation jokes and a whole bunch of false confessions and make a mockery of the whole thing. It, but he's got, you know, Hannah the King would just uh, send in the, the gold cloaks and the Lannister Guard and shut his trial all down. But he, he can't actually do that. So that's kind of like his proto stage where he hasn't been given any real power to wield. He just knows he's smarter than everybody wielding the power currently.
1: Right. So I th- I think there may be a transition when he meets the hill people or the hill tribes and right, Shaga right. Shaga yeah, with yeah, his yeah. axes and whatnot. Yeah. Where he's actually able to talk his way out of Well no, first he talks his way out of um going through the moon door. Right. Uh and then he talks his way out of being uh cut in half by the uh by Shaga. <laughs> yeah. And and, and then uh, builds a coalition. Right, and then his father sends him to to King's Landing, and I think at that point it's sort of like he's been recognized as someone who is pretty smart, and probably would be good to have around King's Landing if Tywin can't be there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then you got Peak Tyrion. Uh, then what else? The, oh, then we have the. Um, the Tyrion married to Sansa? Would that be a distinct stage? No, I'd say that, like, he's, he's got a... So there's a transition
0: period where he flames out his hand and his father comes, takes the power, but he, you know, has not... He, he's, he's, he's still got the spirit to fight, and he, that that pretty much gets broken when he finds out about the betrayal of his brother back with his first wife which we could talk about Taisha Ty- uh, uh, and how that was uh you know a likely right. a, a formative member of his life and then throughout the re- he fundamentally changed and he's a much darker uh more bitter, more cynical, fatalistic uh
1: character. Uh in right. Dance. So that's him suicidal in Pentos, right? So Yeah. It, when he's suicidal in Pentos, it's almost like he is preoccupied with this period of his life that we never heard narrated mm-hmm. um, because he's with this, you know, he's, he's young, he's in love. He's with his first wife, the Crofter's mm-hmm. daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this was sort of like he, he's got these memories that are haunting him. And he's kind of a, sort of reverts to those memories and sort of broods on those as he's suicidal. Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay, so, the character that we have not met in the books yet is, I think, the sort of, the least interesting Tyrion, the, the, the sort of the season seven Tyrion who's the hand of the queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, he, he makes, well, he makes interesting mistakes, I guess, mm-hmm. politically.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But he's just not as fun. yeah. He's not cartwheeling. He's not s- slapping Joffrey. We we want a, a, a fun cartwheeling Joffrey slapping Tyrion. That's what we
0: want. Yeah, he's not having much fun in trying to keep Danny from burning the the King's Landing and trying to. He's he's like to check on her worst impulses and but he can't slap her, you know, because she's got the dragons. Well, he's matured in a number that. of ways. He, true, he's, true to he's, that too.
1: he's matured, and 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 we're all the worst for it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So we should talk now
0: about this uh, transformation, which is is a, a a topic that we talk about. Uh, you know, Tyrion is a big a big part of this book, but he's also features prominently in Volume Two, which we're still in the process of writing. Uh, that he is converted to this so called dragon's cult. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? And, yeah. Uh,
1: so yeah, this is kind of I find this really interesting because when we first meet Tyrion, one of the first things we know about him from Jon's point of view is that he's reading this book um and he's just sort of just insatiable uh when it comes to reading material mm-hmm. and he's he's especially interested in dragon lore. So mm-hmm. The the show plays on this a little bit. This is not a, a book detail, but the show likes to play up this idea that when he was little, he wanted a dragon. It doesn't have to be a right. big, big dragon; it could be small like him. Um, <clears throat> but Tyrion, when you, when you get to Tyrion's POV chapters, he is like a, an encyclopedia when it comes to dragons. Mm-hmm. And in fact, his his famous line, "I I drink and know things." Uh, mm-hmm. This was in a conversation about Danny's dragons and and uh, how to properly, you know, um, I don't know, befriend them. I suppose. Mm-hmm. So I think that Tyrion is sort of never comfortably fits within the religion of his birth, which would be faith of the Seven, mm-hmm. and he's primed to sort of fall in this force of gravity that is Daenerys Targaryen. And if you viewed uh, D- Danny as something of a cult of personality um, who sort of has created this political and ritualistic world around dragon magic, which is basically what the Targaryens have done,
0: mm-hmm.
1: then Tyrion is primed to kind of become something of a high priest for, for, for this dragon cult, now I'm I'm using that kind of tongue in, tongue and cheek here. You know, clearly Tyrion's not <laughs> he's he's a god of tits and wine. He's not right. he's not the high priest right. for anything. But Martin's dropped several clues throughout that Tyrion is the perfect sort of mediator between this dragon magic that's gone from the world and Westeros, which he knows intimately. And, and we, so, we so that's wanna... what priests do, priests mediate yeah, yeah. between the magic or the oracle and, and, and the regular person.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're using terms like cult of personality about Danny, but I think we should back up and actually talk about, because for people to show only watchers, the Targaryens, who are Valerians, they had a like a no-joke dragon cult back in, in old Valeria. where. right. A lot of their their gods, like like uh, a, a lot of the Targaryen dragons, were named after their gods, and presumably those gods were you know dragon in some sort of form. We don't know a lot about that. Hopefully, Fire and Blood illuminates that. But also, uh, you know, the Targaryens considered themselves dragons incarnate.
1: So and- yeah, so there's there's different Targaryen approaches to the some- sum are like like true believers like they are really like they really want to try to become a dragon right like to then, the extent that they try to drink wildfire and immolate right. themselves thinking that's
0: going to bring about the literal right. the literal transformation
1: and then you've got sort of more politically savvy Targaryens like Aegon Targaryen who who conquers Westeros and he's figured out that religion is is a is a political tool and he's pretty happy just to adopt the faith of the seven um, because he's, it's going to sort of smooth his acceptance in Westeros. Right. So it's it's almost like the Targaryen cult, dragon cult, is fundamentally fundamentally a re- a political conquest and a tool of political conquest. But every now and again, you get these true believers that come along and and they, they you know they they sort of have merged these. This ancient lore and this and the rituals and the you know the the patriarchal figures and everything that you'd find in a religion, mm-hmm. you find with some of these Targaryen uh, crazies.
0: And there's certainly with Danny, there's some of that, if not in fact in spirit, because she does see herself as destined, and she does see uh, you know the she's very. Very much aware of the blood of Valeria flowing through her, and the 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 lineage that she comes from, and that these are like she calls herself the mother of dragons, which you know, you, uh, like begats like, so she must consider herself something of a dragon. We know her brother well, considered yeah, herself she, a dragon.
1: Clearly, she's she has some sort of Mis- monopoly mystique. on this particular yeah. kind of dragon magic, yeah. and um. There's, there's a great little scene uh, in in this last season, season seven, where she says, you know, she's talking about her character and where she's come from. And she says, I, and I don't have faith. I, I, I don't have faith in any gods, but I have faith in myself. And there's it's almost like, yeah, of course, that's what... <laughs> That's what dictators say. <laughs> they, 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 and I think that uh, that that's exactly what Varys and Tyrion are worried about. Like, can she be trusted? Is are, do we have another mad mad king on our hands? Uh, is, is she the kind of person who uh, elevates herself above sort of the ethics of of common people? Um and. I think that Tyrion, in so much as she has faith in herself, I think that Tyrion also expresses faith in in her specifically. Right for for all intents and purposes, Danny has become Tyrion's god placement god figure. Okay, let's get into some feedback. Uh, we got a little bit of it. You can send it to Game of Thrones at dot
0: com if you've got some questions or comments uh, on this this book review series that we're doing, or you can get on our forums. There's a thread on it. Forums dot com. First up, Janine, just bought your book and – or just bought your book, rather, and sat down and consumed it this afternoon. It was a fun and fascinating and, yes, easy read. I especially like the discussion of guest rights and tribes and how behavior expected and taken for granted in one tribe can be manipulated or even summarily dismissed in another without sending a memo. What I truly love about the book is the way you both write together, going from fairly meaty philosophical and historical material to 80s pop culture references, often in the same sentence – I'm definitely, def, definitely looking forward to the second volume. Uh, again, excellent job. You'll have to describe some of these incredible illustrations for those of us who can't see them. I'm sure I'm not the only blind person buying your book, right? Let me strong arm a few of my friends then. So thank you for for buying that, Janine, and, and uh, I can't wait to get you the audiobook version. But if you want... She's alluding to these. Uh, these are incredible illustrations. We had uh, Chase Stone, who is a highly regarded and sought-after fantasy illustrator. He did a lot of the original art on the actual, officially official World of Ice and Fire book for George Martin, uh, and he did a great job. You know, with our cover that depicts uh, a band of the First Men setting fire to one of the the sacred weirwood trees of the Children, and then we kind of we wanted him to. Kind of illustrate some of these fan theories because they're some of the funner parts, more fun parts, the, the the popcorn parts of our books, and it's also something that doesn't get depicted. It's not like officially depicted in any kind of HBO way or any in anything that would get us uh, sued kind of way. So there's two illustrations. Uh, one is uh, an illustration of the Roos is loose or the bolt-on theory, which postulates that Roos Bolton is a vampire. Uh, it's a crazy theory. But it's one of my favorites, and you can read all about it in Volume 1. But it depicts Roos right. essentially full-blown as a vampire attacking an ancient Stark king's retinue at night like thousands of years ago. And he's being opposed by a, a warged in direwolf, And it's just, it's just badass. He, he uses book accurate descriptions of Roose Bolton's personal armor. And we found some details of like these screaming faces. They're on his like pauldrons or whatever. And it just looks badass. And then he also, uh, illustrated the Plaguein <laughs> And one of my favorite details of that picture is there's the thunder domestically awesome, the conflict happening in the foreground. But in the background, you see just as like this, this subtle detail is there's this row after row of these guys blowing these official royal looking horns. But they also look very much like the, like the Vavuzelas or the the air horns you hear every time you talk about the Kogaine Bowl. And I thought that was, that was pretty fun. So... One of the prime reasons to buy the book is to, to see the awesome artwork by Chase Stone. Moving on to Lauren, I really enjoy reading God of Thrones. I love how the book keeps a pretty consistent funny tone while explaining the theology. It definitely makes for a readable book. I went to a Jesuit college and would have loved to have to re- read something like Gods of Thrones in one of my theology classes. I have a few questions for you and Anthony as I was reading the book. One, Religion plays such a big part of Game of Thrones, but it doesn't seem like one religion will, quote-unquote, win in the end. Danny seems pretty agnostic in terms of religious beliefs, and John is obviously team old gods. Even their advisors, if they all live to the end, aren't specific in their beliefs. Do you agree or disagree?
1: Uh, okay, so here's here's one of the things I love about Martin's world, is that it's it seems authentically um, pluralistic, which I think that maybe... He does better than any other fantasy writer I've ever uh, encountered. Um, So there are a lot of religions represented. Will one win in the end? You're probably right. One religion, uh, doubtful, Lauren, that any one religion will win. And I think that if you look at sort of the – a lot of these ancient uh, empires, they figure out how to – how to let the locals continue to worship how they want to worship, um, and sort of either incorporate that into their own religion or just sort of add their own gods to the local gods. Um, and everyone, almost everyone, seems fine with that. And every every now and again, you'll get you'll get a people group that that doesn't take too kindly to that. Uh, and so maybe one god needs to win. But I think that if if indeed uh, Aaron is correct that there is some sort of um, proto-democracy and dream of spring, then these folks are going to have to figure out how to live with religious pluralism in a way that doesn't create war after war after war. So I'm going to zig a
0: little bit where you zagged. And I think that relore looks like it's going to
1: be looking real good post uh, Post Dream of Spring, so it's gonna do. Relor is gonna take over in the same way that the Andals, yeah, brought, it's gonna be uh. a, a dominant religion, and because they've backed the right horse, like I,
0: Danny, or part of her coalition is going to win. It's gonna be and it's it's gonna be on the back of the dragons, and that's gonna be the prophecy confirmed. And I'm not like I think you're right that the the land will continue to kind of support a plurality of religions, but and they're gonna have to do like. So saith the old gods and the new gods and the next generation gods, or like, but more R- R- gonna...
1: looks like the the dom the, the the most likely to dominate.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, huh. it, it's it's he's it's going to be the ascendant, just because again, uh, I think that's going to carry a lot of weight to small folk. That hey, there's a religion that back Danny and or dragons and worships fire and dragons are fire made flesh. Yeah, that makes sense. What what have the seven done for us lately? So right. Next up since we are going to be seeing more of the creation and beginnings of the white walkers during the long night, and I think she's referencing the working title for the new HBO prequel to this. Do you think that they might explore more of the culture that you reference in the book?
1: Boy, I hope so. (laughs) I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I mean, if you, if you're going to, if you're going to criticize Martin on anything, it's gotta be that, the, these big these big baddies coming from the lands of always winter they they're pretty one dimensional characters yeah so far and in exactly way. the kind of uh, exactly the kind of way that he professes not to to traffic in right yeah no they're every every bit um, well maybe maybe we'll maybe we'll learn more about their culture and their backstory and their motives. That would be nice. It would be a nice out for him if uh, they are pretty thinly sketched in the book, but then the prequel fills out
0: uh, all of their details and makes them into the complex villains. that <laughs> he, right. he, sa- he, had, he saved all of his complexity for the Lannisters, and he had to move the complexity of the White Walker motivations to the, 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 pre- the prequel series. So uh, I just no, saw an cool. interview
1: with him, but he basically confirmed that the White Walkers do, in fact, re- represent climate change. Hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I'm a little bit skeptical. Like, yeah, I could. <laughs> I think he's sure? back. Are you that sure one? that's? What... I think I. I think he's backed into that one. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he may be. He may be sort of strip strip mining past intentions. Um, mm. But if that's the case, and he is the author, uh, if yeah. that's the case, uh, yeah, no, climate change doesn't have a motive. It's just going to kill us all you know yeah, it's that, an impersonal
0: force right
1: th- th- it's it's pretty impersonal mm-hmm. so i don't know it's a good question though uh finally
0: if you lived in Westeros what religion do you think you would lean towards and why okay you go first i think i would probably roll to faith of the seven because it doesn't seem like it seems like it has the least amount of ritual there's no human sacrifice that i've seen uh the 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 maesters seem to like it and the, that appeals to my rational kind of science-based uh my like that that's uh it has their official kind of blessing I, I that's probably that's probably how i'd roll i'd be like Tyrion. Yeah. i wouldn't maybe not believe it and think that there's probably a lot more to the story but yeah there's probably some kind of number of gods and they have some number of hells and they may or may not care exactly what i'm doing right this minute but they've they've they can they they're up
1: there and doing their thing what about you i think that the i think that the historically plausible answer is that i would be whatever faith i was born into <laughs> yeah so yeah. so i mean you do have characters like tyrion who are primed to sort of convert um, or ref, you could say Arya is in 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 a sense converted, um, but ninety nine point nine percent of people in the ancient worlds they they're not choosing religion; they just hmm. they're born into it. And so, if I was born in Lazar, I would probably worship the Great Shepherd. You know, see. I um, was I thought for sure. As a, uh, you know, like
0: I said, we never talked about the religion, but I presume that you're nominally a Christian of some some, some flavor. I, I am a mainline Protestant, yes. That, that I thought that that would fit you hand in glove, because, like, my personal theory of the lamb men uh, the, the, is that they're essentially, like, these pastoral gods <laughs> from the land of Canaan, but they never, for whatever reason, they never got that second stage boost into the, <laughs> right. the 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 they the, the, and onto the world scene, so they're still you know Elohim is over there kind of toiling in obscurity, yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas the you know faith of the seven and and the old gods and stuff have kind of have ran wild, but uh, it does. Yeah, seem... I mean, I guess
1: that's a good question. I don't know that I. There, I, I'll be honest. There are there is a part of me that is attracted to the religion where nothing happens. So. <laughs> So the Faith of the Seven, really nothing happens. I mean, they're there for your name day and they they help you get married and they'll put, you know, coins or stones over your eyes when you die. And that's about what I'm comfortable with. Um, I, I don't know if I want a dynamic in-your-face, you know, god of fire that's requiring me to, you know, hit, hit, hit the, you know... Murder people and get murdered. I, I don't. I don't want that. So, uh, yeah. No. I, I. think I would probably be attracted to something a little bit more pastoral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh you know God that kind of like uh, loves and
0: cuddles you and shepherds you. That's that's that sounds <laughs> sounds nice. Sounds yeah, nice. Okay. I'd like um, to be all right
1: taken into that 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 God's bosom. Um. So yeah. No. I think. Uh. That's. Maybe maybe we, we we will develop this a little bit more in that sort of post uh, post pod uh, get real about religion podcast <laughs> we've been talking about. Indeed, I feel like we've we've almost promised it
0: at this point. So yeah. that's the podcast for this week. Thank you again for for tuning in. Uh, we're going to be talking about Gods of Thrones for another couple of weeks, but uh, November twentieth. George is dropping the bomb, fire and blood we 'll be talking about that, please go on Amazon and buy our book if any of this stuff sounds interesting or if you want to hear more, if you want more Game of Thrones in your life and, and who really doesn 't at this stage uh, check it out on amazon you can you can buy the digital copy for nine hundred ninety nine right now and the paperback is coming out within a week or so uh check that out uh and please leave us ratings and reviews on amazon the link is right here in the show notes it makes it super easy link to fire and blood is there if you want to pre-order that as well because you know george george deserves some some gold dragons here and there too um but we will be back next week with another discussion about the religions of ice and fire until then i'm aaron and i'm anthony see ya